In the name of God who creates, redeems, and sanctifies. Amen. Amen. Please sit. Our story this morning begins in the early morning at dawn when the light hasn't come yet. And the women are going to the tomb, the place where Jesus has been laid. And he's been there since late Friday afternoon. But because of the Sabbath and the festival, the women weren't able to go before now. They had to wait. They had to wait to go and give him a proper burial. So this morning they get up as early as they can, before the light even comes, probably, just as the night rolls over into the next day. And they go to prepare his body and to say a final goodbye. And for me, and maybe for you, when I think of the losses in my life, I can remember those sleepless nights where you can't really find rest, where you sort of don't want to see the light in the morning. You want the world to be different because it certainly already is for you. And there's almost a a sadness when the light comes. I imagine that in some ways, if you know that feeling, you can imagine what it was like for these women. In other ways, I'm not sure we will ever know what it was like for them, truthfully, but in this way, I think that's a profoundly human experience that we can connect to. These women were at the cross. They waited. They never left him. Even when everyone else fled because they were afraid, these women stayed and they watched. And the world certainly was different for them. After all, they had followed him and eaten with him and spent time with him and loved him. Tradition tells us that there were quite a few women there. The gospel names a few this morning. But we have every reason to believe that his mother was there his friends, disciples, devoted followers. They had put their hope and their faith and their trust in him. And they believed that he was going to change the world. And now imagine their disappointment, not just their sadness and their grief, but now that would all seem to be lost. How could he change the world now that he's gone? And so like so many times when we lose a loved one, not only is there the sadness and the heaviness of grief, there's also the loss of a dream. And so this group goes together, this group of women, because this was traditionally women's work. Lots of Marys and Joanna and probably some, many, some other women that weren't named. And they arrive at the tomb to see the stone rolled away. And in his place, because he's gone, there are suddenly two men in dazzling clothes. And we've seen this dazzling in scripture before, not that long ago, actually. The Greek usually translates that it looks like lightning. Their clothes are so shiny that it looks like lightning. And it tends to happen in scripture whenever something really important, something really holy is happening, like the transfiguration. And in those instances, the ancient people would have been terrified, right? And that's what we see in the gospel. These women are terrified because they believed and they had seen in their own tradition that coming in that kind of contact with the divine 
was dangerous. It changed you. It changed your body. It changed yourself. It changed your whole being. Like Moses coming down the mountain, he had to cover his face from the people because his face had changed. So they are terrified, and they fall on the ground, bowing down, not sure what's happening. And the men, likely the angels, say to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? And I wonder how they must have felt to hear those words. Why do you look for the living among the dead? Did their hearts leap? Did their ears burn? Did their stomachs flip over like mine certainly would have? Remember, he told you, he told you that the Son of Man would be handed over and crucified and would rise on the third day. And suddenly the lights come on and everything clicks for them, like the sun coming up. Of course he told us. It isn't over. He isn't gone. He is risen. Now, I'm not sure that we can fully imagine what this day was like for them, their elation, their joy. That feeling, though, we've all had it. It's beyond content. It's, it's joyful, but there's also a lot of relief in it. When something happens in your life that you're not expecting, when you think that everything is lost and then it doesn't happen, or something good happens instead, there is that moment when your whole body sort of releases. You can breathe again. Surely, in many ways, it felt like that. What relief, what joy. And so they run to tell the disciples, and there's a whole other sermon here that I'm not going to preach about how the disciples don't believe them. We'll save that for another day. But they run to tell the disciples the good news, and Peter, of course, has to go see for himself. But for today... For today, what we want is to think of that joy, the delight, the relief. Their dream had come true. All that he said had come to be, and the world actually was, in fact, changed forever. The earth and all that is in it is changed forever because this man rises from the dead, bursts out of the tomb, promises us that death never, ever has the final say but instead that life in God is always victorious. Now, many of us have spent this last week traveling with Jesus to the cross, and we've waited, and we've prayed, and we've wondered, and some of us, including me, have cried a good bit, about how we've wondered about how God does all of this and what these things mean for us today. 2,000-plus some odd years later, what, what does this story still mean for us today? And the easiest answer is in the epistle that we heard this morning from the Apostle Paul, when he writes to the Corinthians, and he says, As in Adam all die, so in Christ will all be made alive. It seems simple enough. It's one of my favorite passages, and actually, whenever someone, and it's often a kid, asks me if there's a hell, if God gets angry at us, what we have to do to be saved. Whenever someone asks me about God's love, this is always my answer. As in Adam all die, so in Christ will all, all, hear the all, be made alive. All. 
We are all human, formed of the earth, and we know that our bodies return. But the good news of today, what it means for us this many years later, is that if you believe in the Savior, if you can put the cross at the center of your life, if you can be like the women and go and tell the story, regardless of whether people believe you or not, that's not the point. <laughs> if you can be like the women and go and tell the good news and bear witness to the light, then the promise is that you will know at least a bit of that joy right now in your life. You will know the fulfillment and the abundant life that God intended for you. And there is the promise that after this life, God has stored something else up for you. That because he is risen, you can have life and have it abundantly, you can live without fear, and you can be free in this life and the next. And the promise of this day is that even if we don't get it right all the time, because none of us do, even if we make mistakes, even if we don't feel like we deserve it, even if someone dragged you here this morning against your will, because I know that happens, even if that's you, no matter who you are, or where you come from, or what you've done, or what language you speak, or what color your skin is, or who you love, or what kind of job you do, it doesn't matter. He died for you, to free you. And at the end, because you are human, and because you were made in the image of God, you will be made alive in Christ. Not because you've earned it, not because you've done some amazing thing, maybe you have done amazing things, in which case, congratulations, but that is not what saves you. It is his love that promises that all will be made alive. As in Adam all die, so in Christ will all be made alive. This is God's will. It has always been God's promise, and it is God's dream for you to know that you are loved and that there is a place for you and a plan for you and that God's promise will be true no matter what you do. You can't wipe it off. You can't run away from it. There's nothing you can do to lose the love of God. It's a defiant kind of love, a defiant kind of good news, an insistent truth, a persistent love that will chase you, love that insists that where there is brokenness, there can be peace and healing, love that insists that no one is ever so lost they can't be found and renewed and reconciled, and love that insists that no one is ever so far gone from us that in Christ we won't see them again. The promise always is that we will find each other again. And so there's nothing you can do to lose this love. It is already yours. And in the face of a world that is so broken and can be so judgmental and so harsh and so unjust, I think that's really good news. <laughs> that God's love says, in fact, there is another way. And the thing about this love is that it isn't kind of cheap grace, right? It isn't just slapping a band-aid on the surface and saying, oh, well, it's fine. You know, it's done. We fixed it. This is hard-won, deep-rooted, stronger-than-death kind of grace. And it refuses to yield until there is peace and compassion and love and life. 
So you are invited not to just take in God's love today, though that's a very good thing for you to do, but to try today and in the rest of your life to be like the women in the gospel this morning who go and tell the story. On this Easter day, I wish you the joy of those women, the joy and the relief of those women who are returned the person they love most in the world. I wish you also the desperation of Peter, who hears this news, who knows he messed up earlier in the week and has to go see for himself. He is desperate to see the Lord. I wish that for you too. I wish you the knowledge and the certainty of the Apostle Paul that all will be saved, including you, no matter what. And more than anything, I pray that you will open your heart again today to the Savior who comes for you, who loves you desperately, who delights in you, and has even conquered death for you. Amen.